You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, we are in Judges 9 this fine morning. Our front yard has a bunch of, uh, of just garden beds, right? And most of them have some pretty azaleas that are out for right now. And a couple of them have some palm trees, and there's some big pine trees that scare us in the storms. Uh, the biggest one we have uh, is kind of, if you go out the front door, it's right to the right. And it used to have this beautiful live oak uh, that was in it. And, you know, of course, it, it, when it drops the leaves right around now, it was a pain. But it was a beautiful tree. You know, had all the moss hanging down, probably 80, 100-year-old tree. And then about three years ago, one of those, you know, famous spring thunderstorms comes through, and boom, that, that puppy is leaning across the street. And we go outside, and the, and the, uh, the root ball, it just, it just tipped over. I've never seen anything like it. It just tipped over. The root ball was like 12 feet high. It was just huge. And so the people came out, and they cut it, and it fell back in its hole, but it never really went back in its hole. It was kind of twisted. I was like, oh, that's great. We got this big stump. So we had to get it grounded out. But the point of this, that bed used to be dominated by this huge, beautiful tree, and now it's empty. And ever since that tree has been removed, that bed has been the spurn of my soul. Because it just fills with weeds. I mean, last, literally last week, I sent my two youngest outside with a trash can, and they spent two hours weeding that bed, filled up a trash can. We went back out yesterday, that puppy's filled again. I mean, it's just, it's just drives me bonkers. Never had the issue when the tree was there. Now it's just like weed heaven. But here, here's, the, uh, here's the point. Nature abhors a vacuum. When something is left empty, something will fill it, right? Something will fit it. In this case, weeds, weeds. Um, I'm going to do something this morning I never do. I'm not pretty short. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what this sermon's about in the beginning, I know, I don't do that, right? I usually like kind of tease it along because otherwise you'll be bored and you'll fall asleep. I'll be just, oh, you know what the sermon is. So I usually kind of, but I was up at like 5 a.m. on Wednesday. One of our kids was throwing up upstairs. And so there's just something about the smell of bleach and the fear of other kids throwing up that makes you very aware, right? <laughs> and so, and, and, and I just came, I said, I came to the conclusion then. I was like, I'm just going to say it right up front what this sermon's about because I think it's that significant that you need to know where we're going, because this is a huge point today of, of what we're talking about, and I don't want you to miss it. So here it is, right? When there is a vacuum in the bed of your heart, right? When there is a vacuum there, something else will move in, and you will have a mess on your hands, just like I do in my yard. When that which you were created for and that which was created to, to be in your soul is absent, when it's not in the bed of your heart, something else will move in and you will have a monster. And we're going to see that unfold today in Judges chapter 9. So I hope you found it in your Bible uh, because that's where we're going. And all, all, all really we're going to do is walk through the text. Just going to walk through the text. I don't have like four points. Right? I don't have no points. That I have points, but not, they're not going to be on the screen. I don't have, uh, this is really bad. This is really, really, really bad. And this is super, really, really, really bad. Okay? I don't have that. 
We're just gonna see what happens when that which is supposed to fill the bed of your heart is not there, and we're gonna see the repercussions. And, and my goal for us is for you to find yourself in the story. That's, that you would see yourself in this, this situation that happened 2,500 years ago, right? So Judges chapter nine, and I can tell you this is one of the more obscure passages in this book. I don't need to worry if you've heard a better sermon on this passage, because you've probably never heard a sermon on this passage, probably. So this will be the best sermon on Judges 9 you've ever heard, and the only one, right? Um, But it's probably the best chapter in the book that describes the title of our series, Everyone Needs a King. It probably is the best example of that right here. So Judges chapter 9. Actually, jump back right to verse 33. So we saw that Gideon we kind of finished up his life last week. He made a couple bonehead decisions at the end. Um, and he dies, verse 33. Right? As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again. We've seen this time and time again. Right? As soon as the judge dies, they jump right back into our cycle. Right? Where, where there's, there's rebellion and sin and idolatry. And then there's going to be a servitude. And then there's going to be a sorrow. And they're going to cry out. And then there's, God's going to raise up a judge, a savior. And then he's, everything's going to go well until that guy dies. And then they jump back in. We're not going to get a judge for a little bit of time. But we do have the rebellion. Right? The cycle has begun again. And that's where chapter 9 verse 1 picks up. So let's read it. I got my glasses on. I did a second service last week. Yes, I'm old. Okay? So you don't need to make fun of me. You're old too. I don't have any gray hair yet though, so that's good. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say into the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbabel rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on, on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of baal Berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. So Abimelech, he's the one, he's Gideon's son through a concubine. Remember, his name means my daddy's king, right? So he goes to all his, his city in Shechem and says, who would you rather be in charge Gideon's 70 kids or me? And remember, I'm your boy. We went to elementary school together. We played t-ball together. And the implication is, hey, I'll look out for you if you vote for me. It's a little bit of lobbying is what he's doing. And they're all like, yeah, that makes sense. He's our brother. Right? So they go and they go to the temple of Baal. They raid the, the offering box give him 70 pieces of silver, and he goes out and hires the dirty dozen, in essence, to be his army, right? Look what happens, verse five. And he went to his father's house at Oprah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel, 70 men on one stone. The idea there is an execution. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left where he hid himself. So in his anger and his angst, he goes to his daddy's house and he kills every one of his brothers. Think about the hate you have to have to do something like that, to kill every one of your brothers, right? And so he does that. And the only one that gets out is the youngest, a a young man named Jotham, right? So verse six, and all the leaders of Shechem came together at Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar of Shechem. So they go to Shechem, which was a special and holy place for the people of God, by the way. This is where God shows up to Abraham and says, this land is y'all's. 
I've given it to your seed forever and ever. Right? This is the same place that Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua's all like, choose this day you who will serve. And they're all like, we're going to serve the Lord. It's the same spot. Now, they're taking a man who shouldn't be their king. They are asking him to be their king when they shouldn't even want a king. Because they have a king. His name is God. And that was the idea. He was supposed to be their king. But this is, this is a, just a, it's a sacrilege idea. It's, as Tim Keller says in his commentary on this book, he says, it'd be like America reinstating slavery at Gettysburg or racial segregation at Montgomery, Alabama. That's how just offensive this would be to God. They're searching for a king they don't need. They appoint one that they should never have. And as they're doing so, this ceremony is interrupted from a cry from the mountain behind. It's like, hey, you guys, kind of idea. Verse 7, and it was told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and cried out aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And he's going to tell them a parable. This is the first parable in all the Bible, told by Jotham. Here's the parable, real simple. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. Why the trees weren't a king, he doesn't say, but they did. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? The olive tree says, I got a great and important job. I make oil. Oil is life there. It's money. It's, it's, it's one of the most honored things. Why would I want to go wave over the trees when I have my job? So he says, no. You go next to the fig, right? Fig tree, come rain over us. And he says, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit to go hold sway over the tree? Same response. I got a big job. I bring sweetness to life. All the vegans love me, all right? I, I got a job to do. They say no. Then they go to the vine. You come and reign over us. The vine says, I got to make wine for all y'all revelers that are still feeling it from yesterday. That's you, all right? I make wine that cheers God and men and goes hold sway over the tree. No, I'm not going to do that. I have a job. My job is to make wine or Welch's grape juice for the Baptists, all right? All right? And so all three say no. So they go to the bramble. Wait, which one I got? There you go. The trees go to the bramble. You come reign over us, bramble. Now, bramble was a thorn bush, right? It, it, it doesn't get very tall. You get close to it, you get, you get hurt, right? And it was a dangerous plant to farmers because it, when in a dry place, it was the first thing to catch fire. So if you had a big, think about the California wildfires. This is one of those little bushes that gets caught quick and sets everything afire. Here's kind of a picture of a bramble, all right? It's not even pretty, right? It's just a thorn bush in the middle of the desert. And so they go to the thorn bush and say, you rule over us. And it's, this next verse is dripping with sarcasm. The bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you're anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. Did you see that picture? What shade is there that? Uh, it's sarcasm, all right? Uh, come, come rest. And he uses the language of cedars, the cedars of Lebanon. How is a tree going to find shade in a bramble? It's, it's huge sarcasm. It's a joke. It's like, it's like Kirby Smart saying, come watch us beat Alabama, all right? It doesn't happen, okay? This doesn't happen, all right? So come take refuge in my shade, but if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon, Right? Everything is wrong here. Wrong king, wrong time, wrong place. It's a dysfunctional deal. It's like The Bachelor. 
right? At the end, you got the two, the bachelor, and there's the two ladies, and both of them are just, you know, this one's crazy, and she's killed like four people, right? And this one over here, you just don't know, but she's got the crazy eye, and you know you're like, and he picks one of them, and then you're like, three months later, they're broke up, right? It's a dysfunctional deal. It's a dysfunctional king, right? And so Jotham tells this parable, and then he concludes, he says, now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, if you've dealt well with Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved. For my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you from the end of many, and you have risen up against my father's house this day, and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he's your relative. If you have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbabel and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. But if not... Let fire come out from Abimelech, devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And then Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because Abimelech, his brother. So he issues this curse, right? If you, you, okay, you, you made your bed. Now you get to sleep in it. See how you like it. ABC, ya. wouldn't want to be you. And he's out, right? He goes and hides. And this is where we need to pause just a minute and ask the question, where are you and I in this story, right? Where are you? And the way you figure that out is you ask the question, in the bed of your heart, are there areas that there is a vacuum where you have rejected the true authority and something else has now moved in, which we're going to find out is a bramble, Right? Can you reflect on your life where you have presented areas of your life to a false king, the wrong king, the wrong time, in the wrong way, right? You're trying to find rest and life and hope in this, right, instead of the true king. Because let me me just tell you, brambles are all over the place. And brambles show up, and they give all sorts of false affirmations, just like Abimelech. I'm your brother. I'm going to look out for you. It's always about you, by the way. It's, it's, about, it's about your happiness. You're not happy. It, God wants you to be happy, right? And so if you're not happy with that husband of yours, you deserve better. You should leave him. You should leave him. Well, you're not ready to have a kid right now. You're in college. Well... You just, it's inconvenient, you need to get rid of it. You need to eliminate the problem. It's about your happiness. It's about you. It's your body. Do what you want with it, right? You know, if you find worth doing that, do that, go ahead. Your life, it's not your parents' life, it's your life. Not your boss's life, it's your life. You can't afford it? You need that if you're gonna be happy. You need it. So you go get it, right? That's what it takes to get ahead. Everyone's doing it. Gotta look out for number one. All right? That's the kind of thing that brambles will come saying. And they promise freedom, but actually they have no track record. Right? The track record of the bramble is what? Fire. Right? Danger. So, but what they say is, you can trust me. Don't, don't pay attention to my past, but you can trust me. Right? Look, a couple extra glasses of wine every night, a couple pills to make you go to sleep, just to make you feel numb. You, you need that. It won't, it won't be an issue down the road. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You won't get addicted. You'll be fine. Right? I know you haven't been 
you haven't eaten a meal with your family in a month. I know you haven't taken your wife on a date in six months. I know your family hasn't gone on vacation in three years. But this is what it takes to get ahead. And I promise you down the road, it'll all be worth it. Trust me. Trust me. Right? It'll all be worth it. You should just move in together and figure out if you're compatible. Right? Everyone's doing that now. And don't, I know the statistics say that 50% of people that, that cohabit never actually marry. And that the, the higher divorce rate is for those who cohabit before marriage. I know that. But you're different. Trust me. It will be fine. They got no track record. Ultimately, what Brambles are saying is you need a new king. Because the old king, you can't trust the old king. Right? You can't trust him to help you live your life and find a spouse and provide for your needs and make you content. Because if you trust this king, what's going to happen is you, you might be in a place where you're out of control and he might ask you to do things that are kind of over here and you might not be able to do that and, and he might bring stuff in your life that you wouldn't like, which may, by the way, be true. But here's the difference. The true king has a track record. He has proven himself. The brambles, they do not. So you can't go to the culture and survey the culture and say, all right, Cosmo, how should I do dating? 17 tricks to make your husband go crazy. I don't want to go crazy. Right? You can't go to the culture in Hollywood and say what true beauty really looks like. You just can't because they're all photoshopped and fake. You can't, you can't survey that. You can't go to psychologists to find out what real happiness is. They can't nowadays even decide on male, female, the most simple, basic, obvious thing that God has done. In the beginning, they were made male and female. They, they can't even handle that. And you're going to go ask them how to, how to deal with happiness and contentment and everything else. Right? But they're all brambles, false promises, fake freedom, false shade. And what we need to do is reflect on where in your life have you presented yourself to the wrong king at the wrong time in the wrong way in the wrong place. Because what we do, because our hearts, as, as Calvin so famously has quoted, are idol-making factories in essence. What we do is we take good things that God has given, good gifts, and God gives so many good gifts. And we take good gifts and we try to fill the bed of our heart with that. And we make that our God when the gift is supposed to point us back to the giver. If I give my kids great Christmas gifts, which I do, right? I don't want them to, to fall in love with the Lego set. I want them to say, my dad loves us because he does. It's supposed to point back to the giver, not to the gift. What we do is we take good gifts and we put them in the middle of the bed and think, this is going to make me happy. And they are brambles in the end, right? They can't carry the weight of that entire bed. It just, it just can't happen. And so uh, Spurgeon famously said, the more objects you set your heart upon, the more thorns there are to tear your peace of mind to shreds, right? And so what are the brambles of our culture? Let me just give you a couple because I don't, I don't think it's hard to identify. Comfort is a big American fat idol. Comfort and stuff. Cars, houses, boats, bling, shoes, firearms, golf clubs, makeup, I don't care what, phones, all in himself, not bad, not bad stuff. Unless we spend all of our time and all of our resources and all of our effort trying to maximize my comfort. The older I get, the more I realize I ain't comfortable no more. 
I hurt. I got heartburn. I can't see. Okay? So I can try my best to make myself comfortable. I'm dying physically. Right? I don't need to worry about that. That will happen. And all the stuff I own, my kids are going to put it either in storage or in the garage sale. All right, because I'm doing the same thing. My mom brings stuff. She comes down every three months. Do you want this? Do you? We just from now on we always say yes. We say yeah, we want that. We throw it out once she gets here, after she leaves. I mean, she's she's bringing down stuff and like, do you want your old this? I'm like, yeah, bring it down. We just get rid of that stuff. I just don't want her feelings. It's it's true. It's either going to be in a landfill or a garage sale or a storage unit. So why do we go after? And then if we can't get that stuff, what do we do? We end up despising the people that have that we don't have. They get more opportunities than us. They get more privileges than us. They have more stuff. And so we become envious and we hate them, right, and jealous. It's all bramble. Money. Money is a huge idol in our culture, right? We don't, you, know, you know this. Nothing wrong with money. God gives money so we can use it and be generous. Here's some stats, though, that are shocking to me. 2018, the debt of Americans, not the American government, of Americans, it's 13 trillion. 13 trillion dollars is owed. Some of that's, you know, houses, get that, college loans. 430 billion of it is credit cards. The average American home holds $7,000 of credit card debt. Not like I pay it off every month, like revolving. I probably would bet that's true in this room. And are we a happier country? Are we we a more satisfied country with all that stuff that we have in credit card debt? I'd say we have more depression, anxiety, and stress than we've ever had, right? And here's the really sad thing about money. The average evangelical Christian gives about 2 to 3% of their income away. But they have seven, eight, ten thousand $10,000 of credit card debt, right? That to me, I don't need to ask which king you're worshiping if you're giving 2% of your income away. I, I just don't. I know. Right? Because it's just, it's, you see it where your treasure is, your heart is. It's a bramble, though. It's just a bramble. Can't take it with you. Significance, approval, idols, right? Where I have to live up to my parents' expectation, and I never do, and I'm always trying this. I have to have this body type. I live for likes. Every time I get a like, and that little dopamine goes boop in the brain, and I'm so excited, and I have 237 likes, and she only has 216, which means I'm more like than she is, until tomorrow afternoon, until we both post again. I mean, we just live for the likes. Where we'll act in a certain way. Well, if I don't act in this way, my boyfriend will dump me. If I don't send him pics, my boyfriend will leave me. If I don't, it's all approval. It's a bramble. Right? It's a bramble. But I don't get into that club, that fraternity, that school, that this. Good things like family and marriage, kids. Kids can be a bramble. Kids are a blessing. Kids are great. Kids are very bad gods. They keep you up at night. They, you know, you can put your hope in this kid. This kid will mess up. You're going to blow it. And if, and if you make your kids your gods, what are you going to do when they move to the West Coast? And all you got is to go is walk through the Publix thinking about how you used to buy juice boxes for them. Right? Who's laughing at that? That wasn't that funny. <laughs> right? They're, they're a blessing, but they're, they're lousy gods. Right? And, and some of you are still trying to live through your kids. You're like Uncle Rico back in 1982 trying to get your kid to be the whatever like you. And they're not. It's a lousy God. Marriage. 
It's, it's a gift, right? You should love your spouse. But here's the sad reality. When you stand at that altar, you said, till death do you part, and one of you was gonna go probably first. And one of you is gonna be a widow. And if marriage is your God, what are you gonna do at that moment? Or, or maybe you'll compromise because you just want to be married so bad that you'll marry the wrong guy or the wrong gal at the wrong time because you don't wanna be alone, right? It, it's, it, it can be a bramble. I don't even need to go into the idea of sex being a, a god in our culture. But the irony about that, and we did a whole series on it, so go back and listen to it. But the irony about sex as an as a idol, as a god for this culture, is the thing that it was designed to do for us, bring oneness. The way we treat it with such contempt, it actually is destroying the very thing it was created for because we've made it more than it should be. Right? Politics, for some of you, is a god. You need to get rid of your Facebook. Uh, some of the worst... Brambles are religious brambles. Your spiritual resume. Look what I do. Look what I went to school. Some of you rest more in the bramble of good doctrine than in the gospel of Jesus. You more, care more about being right than, than about the cross. Right? Or spiritual gifts. Look how I'm more loved when I am successful. I'm more, I'm more desired when I have fruitful ministry. I'm moral. I get the purity ring. I don't drink, smoke, chew, go with girls who do. I did all these things, right? And God loves me because of it. It's a bramble. We're counting on that. In the end, everything good can be bad because we make it a bramble. Because it can't fill the vacuum of your soul. Only one thing can. And here's what happens. I'm going to work really quickly through this text, the rest of the text, just to show you an example. Here's what happens here, right? So I'm going to be kind of scanning and going. Verse 22, Abimelech rules for three years. He's the king for three years. But what ends up happening is God sends a spirit, and there starts to be division, and the men of Shechem and Abimelech are not getting along, right? There's this kind of rebellion going on in verse 26, so a guy named Gaul, the son of Ebed, moves into Shechem with his relatives. The leaders of Shechem, they put confidence in him. Fickle. Three years earlier, their candidate was Abimelech. Now they're fans of Gaul, all right? And they, they went out into the field and gathered grapes from their vineyard and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. So they get a little Shechem Chardonnay in them and they start celebrating, right? And they start getting big talker. And Gaul, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech? Who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbabel? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand? Then I would remove Abimelech, and I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. One of, their, one of the, the boys hears it. He goes to Abimelech and says, hey, they're talking smack down in Shechem. You need to ambush them. You need to take them out. So they do. So Abimelech and all the men, verse 34, uh, who were with him rose up by night and set ambush against Shechem and its four companies. Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountains. Zebul said, Oh, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. You, you're just seeing things. You had too much Chardonnay last night. And, and Gaul spoke again, saying, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land. One company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are, are, we not, are not these the people who you despise? Go out and fight them. He's like, Hey, Mr. Big Talker, get out there and fight now. You were talking about it all last night when you're all filled with wine. Go fight. So they do. And he gets beat. 
Abimelech destroys him, right? And then what Abimelech does is he comes back in verse 45. He fights against the city all day. He captured the city. He kills the people who are in it. He raised the city, burns it down, and he sows it with salt. Sows all their fields so they can't grow it. He absolutely destroys the city of Shechem. And then all the people run, and they go hide in this tower of this stronghold. So he gets his men, and they all put fire at the bottom of it, and they burn a 1,000 people live. That's what Abimelech does. That's what he does to Shechem. And now he's on a roll. So now he goes to the next city that's right up the road, Thebes, and he attacks it in the same way, and everyone runs into the tower like they did before. Abimelech came to the tower, fought against it, and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But there's a sweet young lady who, in the middle of the chaos, her husband and her are like, come on, we gotta go. And she's like, I need my upper millstone. It was my mother's and her mother's before her. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. We're running for our lives. She's like, no, I need it. So he grabs her upper millstone, which is about a 30-pound rock. It's probably 12 inches uh, long, about two or three inches thick. It was, the, uh, it was the wheel that was on top of the big wheel and it would grind the wheat. So she takes that puppy up the stairs and Abimelech, just like before, goes to light that puppy on fire and she chucks it out the, off the cliff and it hits old boy smack upside his head crushed his skull, and he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. He doesn't want to be the second guy in this book who's been killed with a household utensil, right? <laughs> it's like her, her toaster oven. Think about that. All he's thinking about at the end of his life is he doesn't want people to say a woman killed me. He killed all these innocent people. He ruined so many lives, and he's worried about that. And so his sword bearer kills him, and it's over. And the curse of Jotham from the parable three years earlier, let you be burned by Abimelech and let Abimelech be burned by you. It comes to pass, right? This is a, not your most uplifting passage in the Bible. I don't think anybody's gonna be reading this at the, forget that 1 Corinthians 13. I want this read at my wedding. This is a good one. <laughs> you know, love is patient, nothing. I wanna talk about crushed skulls. But this is the result. This is how it ends when you have a bramble for a king. You get burned. It's short-term gain, maybe, long-term pain. And look, this is one of the harder passages for me as a pastor to talk about, because this hits us right where we're at, and it hits me. But, but because I love y'all, and God ultimately loves y'all and wants me to, to speak these things, you gotta know. There are consequences, natural consequences, when you pursue sin. When you pursue, and the consequence here, God returned the evil on Abimelech, which he committed, verse 56, against his father, and God also made the evil the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham. This is just the, na- this is the natural consequences that God just lets it play out. And I think Christians misunderstand grace and consequences. And we don't, we don't want to confuse them, right? There is clearly, according to the scripture, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Clearly. If you are in Christ, your sin, past, present, and future, has all been paid for and the cross of Jesus Christ. You have been forgiven. You have been reconciled. But sometimes, because of the choices we make, there's a natural consequence to it. Here's what Paul says in Galatians, which is a book, by the way, about the gospel, Really. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, 
That's what he reaps. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Right, so the idea is, where are you sowing? Are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the spirit? Because there will be a harvest. You cannot escape it. And it may take some time. It took three years for this harvest. And, and even before that, the reason this whole mess is going on is because of choices that Gideon made prior with his ephod and with his harem. I mean, if he was a good dad to Abimelech, do you think that he would have went and killed his brothers? He didn't even care about Abimelech. He just left him. He didn't even marry his mama. She was just a concubine in a town that he used to visit. Consequences of his choices years down the road, right? It's, it's a huge thing. And it should remind us as parents, I mean, we are sowing seeds right now into our children's lives. And if you're not teaching them to, to respect authority so that one day they ultimately trust the authority of God in their life, if you're not teaching them to uh, facilitate independence in their life so that they can make decisions and choices and you're walking through and teaching them responsibility, right? If you're not pointing them to Jesus and, and following him and how he is worthy of being trusted, if you're not doing that, there will be see, that, that will be a harvest down the road, Right? I mean, if single folks, you are, you are sowing right now seeds into your future marriage. You may not know it. You're 16, you're 17, you're 13. But those choices you make and what kind of pictures you're putting on yourself and sending, the stuff you're putting in your mind, music, video, whatever, the, the compromise or the, it's in those relationships, how's the swiping right or the hookup culture, you don't think it, but you're sowing seeds that will one day either make your marriage flourish or will actually be, make more challenges, right? And it's, it's down the road. There, there's, it's just, you can't escape it. You can be forgiven, but you can't escape sometimes the consequences, right? Addiction, you know? Some of you start early, you're 15, 16, going to a little party, having a few, few, few beers with the boys, you're, you're jeweling, whatever the new thing is, vaping, jeweling, I don't know. You're setting yourself up for an addiction down the road. Some of you are a little flirting now with the office secretary. It's no, it's no big deal. Or the boss. It's, it's no big deal. Down the road, you're sowing seeds. You just don't know it. Your laziness now. This is why I, I try to encourage students. Your schoolwork, I know, I mean, no one really uses math. There's calculators for that, right? I know. All the math teachers are mad at me. I haven't used math since like 1992, all right? But your diligence now, if you're lazy in school, don't tell me you're going to be a hard worker when you're 29. Just don't tell me that. Just don't tell me that. If you're, if you're disrespectful to your parents now, don't tell me you're going to follow your boss one day. You're not. Right? It's, it's, it's part of it. And so you deal with it now. You start sowing seeds to the Spirit now and following Jesus here and, and turning from these things. A, a lackadaisical attitude towards the things of God. Right? Some folks, they show up to, to be with the people of God twice a month. Right? I'm not talking about if you're traveling or whatever. You're just like, ah, we're just going to go Tybee instead. We're just going to go play around the golf. We'll just blow off being with the people of God. Right? And if you continue down the road of that, 10 years from now, it's not going to be a surprise to me if your heart is just callous to the things of God. Because one of the things he says is, don't forsake the assembly. 
And so we're sowing seeds and there's consequences. And the consequences are God's built-in mechanism to protect us, to keep us away so that we look back and say, oh, that was dumb. I'm not going to, I am not going to put my finger in that socket again. That hurt. That was a consequence. I I can be forgiven for that, but I don't want to do it again. Right? And you got to know that. When you choose a bramble, you're going to get burned. Right? So here's what Paul says in Romans 6. We'll kind of land here and then we'll worship. He says, don't let sin, it's a command. It's a little wooden in the, the way it's written, but it's a command. Do not let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. And that's, look at the language there. Uh, reign, to make you obey. Those are, those are authoritative pieces, right? That's, that's kingly language that we've been talking about. Don't let sin, therefore, and the therefore points to what he's previously said, that Jesus has been had died to sin and is alive now and since we're with him we're to be dead to sin he says because Jesus died to sin and is alive and now we're in him and alive don't let sin reign in your mortal body don't let it be your master don't follow it right don't don't do that and where does Paul put the responsibility he puts it on us you don't let sin you don't let it be your master See, we can't say the devil made me do it. My parents' fault. Every time she does that, I do that. And now, and it, I just, I've been praying about that for years, and God just hasn't removed that sin from my life. You can't use that language. That's code language for I have a bramble problem, right? I have a, I have a master problem because we're removing the responsibility from me. No, he says we have a choice. And when we choose a bramble over the true king, what we're saying is, here's my options. I'm going with door number two because I want to and I'm exalting my needs over what God's call in my life is. It is our choice. Now, he gives us the strength and he gives us the power. But in the end, you have to choose to not let it rain. Right? It's not God's job to come down and make you follow him. Right? He goes on to say in verse 16. He says in 13, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourself to God. Verse 16, he says, don't you know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience. Notice the question is not whether or not you are a slave. It's assumed, right? You're serving somebody. It's like saying, well, what country you live in? You can't say, well, I live in no country. You may not like your country. You may not agree with your country, but you live in a country, right? So the question is, who, his assumption is, you're serving somebody, who is it? Are you serving a bramble, or are you serving the king, right? That's what you got to ask, and that's, that's where we want to land. As we kind of just, as you survey your heart, the bed of your heart, what's in it? Just filled with a bunch of weeds, because there is a tree, that should be there. That, that, that's there and should dominate the bed of your soul. And it's the only one that can bring rest. And it's the only one that can bring shade. And it's the only one that can bring hope and life and safety. Right? And this is the tree. This is the tree that needs to be in the bed of your soul. It's the tree of the one who created you, who loves you far more than you could ever love yourself. And we love our some self, right? It's the tree of the one who gave himself for you, not so that you could have your best life now, but that you could have your best life forever, right? 
This is where true rest is. Come to me, not me, this is Jesus speaking, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives rest. If you've got approval and significance idols, here's your solution. Here's the one who says, I have made you my brother. I have made you my sister. I don't care what you've done. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to get, you know, Facebook friends. You don't have to this. You don't have to act in a certain way to, to gain my approval. I have given you my approval in the fact that I laid down my life for you on this cross. You got stuff and comfort issues. His, we, Chris read it this morning as we start. An imperishable, undefiled, that will not fade away inheritance. You are an heir to the kingdom of God. I don't care if you have a cottage on Tybee. Right? That, that's going to burn. Now, I, I love Tybee. Hey, Tybee may be in the kingdom. I don't know. We'll see. Huckapoos might make it too. I don't know. But you have, so you don't need an idol of stuff when you've been given this. Maybe it's pleasure. He, he solves this one. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, this is the only tree that can carry that, the bed of your soul. It's Calvary. And these verses that Paul's written in Romans 6, and I encourage you to go back and read them this week. I didn't give it justice. Those are written to Christians it's not, this is not how to get to heaven verses. This is written to Christians who have put their faith in Jesus. He said, now that you've done this, don't let, now that you've made the big decision that has changed your eternity, let's make the little ones who keep him on the throne of your soul. This is why Romans 12, 1, after this great, it's a conclusion to Romans 1 through 11, this great treatise on salvation. He says, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Because of all this I just explained, just present yourself. Put him on the throne of your heart. Put him in the, the, the bed of your soul, right, as, as a believer. Because he is the rightful king. And he's the only one that can carry the weight of that bed. And he will not share his glory with another. And why should he? Why should he? Right? He's a, he's a good king. And here's the, here's the beauty, and we'll land with this. This, this king is so good that you rebelled against him, just like Shechem rebelled against Abimelech. What does Abimelech do? He comes and smokes him. Your king, when you've rebelled against him, when you've said, ah, I'm choosing him, I'm choosing, I'm choosing over here the bramble over him, he still loves you. He still wants you back. He's the prodigal son's father who's waiting for his son who told him, I wish you were dead. Give me your stuff. And when he's coming back, what does he do? He runs to him. He kills the fattened calf. He throws a robe on him, a ring on his hand, and he celebrates. That's this king. Ain't no bramble gonna treat you like that. And so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, here's what, when we move to worship, all, all we wanna do is just kind of search your soul. And if today you're like, man, I got brambles are us. Am I? I got weeds. It's a great place to be then because you have a king who says, bring me to weeds. I got me some Roundup. It's called the Holy Spirit Roundup, baby. <laughs> and he can start killing those idols as you start representing and presenting yourself daily like Romans 6, 13. Just present yourself to him. Present yourself to him every day. All right, Lord, as an instrument of righteousness, instrument of righteousness, and denying that self. And it's gonna be a battle, and you're gonna fail. 
And that's why he's a good, gracious king. And if you're not a Christian today, and I know someone in here is not, what you need to understand is our, our faith, Christianity is not a list of rules, go to church, be good. It's about a king who left heaven, became a man, died on a cross in your place for your sin, rose again, and then he says, you come to me, I'll give you life. You're looking for a better life in a new marriage or a new financial situation or a new boat. No, a better life, salvation is found by being embraced by a savior who loved you and gave himself for you. He is the king, he is the deliverer, and he says, look to me and live. Come to me and I will give you rest. So let's worship. Just be honest. God knows your heart. You don't need to hide. He sees everything. Let's just be a time of maybe confession, repentance, but just reflection and worship. And we leave again with Jesus. I want you to be king. Let's just stand with me. I'll pray and we'll worship. Father, I pray as we uh, just sing just a few songs, reflect on you and your grace and your mercy, I just pray for us that the brambles of our soul would be turned from, all of us, whether it's religious or cultural or whatever. It's a battle, Lord, and we know that. We thank you that you've given us your spirit to, to put your finger on things that we need to repent of, to confess of, but I just, I just pray that we be honest. And for those of us who are being mastered by sin today, that we would just turn from those things, the enslavement they bring, and look to you and live. It's in Christ's name I pray.